What you, you needed a little microphone adjustment. Sorry there? if that's making noise. I, yeah, yeah, it's, it's you got to pick your spot. Me. You got to pick your spot, and you got to. It's always something with you. It's always you know? something with. This I never. Thing. I mean, I I adjusted my mic already today, which is rare. I usually just look at you showing up prepared. Hey Jim, how you doing? Andrew, I'm doing well. How are you? We've already been talking for a while, but once you press record, you have to pretend like you're. Oh, I didn't see you there. Oh, hey. <laughs> Is that you? Hey, nice sweat, nice sweater with an embroidered rectangle. I love Thank it. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's I mean, a premium uh, rectangle. It's sweat. It's sweater with an embroidered <laughs> rectangle day today here on the podcast. That's, that's the kind of day it is. <clears throat> Yours hides the uh, stains a little bit better. My <laughs> all my winter storm sweatshirts for some reason like I just look at it and then they it. I think that's just water, but it, I might have just touched it. That's why I can't have nice things. What is the after party? Is it called the winter steam? You come away yeah. with that with a few stains. Things get a little sloppy, maybe. I've already stain sticked this and run it through the wash several times. Just every time I mm. wear it, I get something new on it. So, but I digress. So, Jim, you were asking me before the show something I've never heard before. Something about the tone zone and how to find it. Yeah. What is the tone? Can you tell me what the tone zone is? And more importantly, how do I get there? What is this tone zone, Jim? <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of this. Tone zone? Can you describe what you think it means? And then maybe we'll, you know, we'll take it from there. Well, I feel like I'm pretty sure I got that from the dojo. Now, now I'm like, which lesson was it? I think it was, it, I think it might've been part of the mastering, mastering your bagpipe course. At some point, it came up. Somebody, it was. Now I'm it hesitating to say it was you. I, I think was it was me. you, actually. Andrew. No, you don't think so? Was it? If I mean, if, if anybody was, listening has recently been through the course where they hear someone say the tone zone, please add a comment below, helping us to hunt down wh which lesson that happened in, and if it was or wasn't Andrew Douglas who said, "Welcome to the tone zone." <laughs> well, if it was me that said it, I mean, wow, what a stroke of genius. But on the assumption <laughs> and the hope that it, this person needs to be reprimanded severely because uh, it's awful. <laughs> you know, the tone zone comes to mind because, Jim, I don't know about you, but I remember for large quantities of my upbringing as a player, people screaming various combinations of blow tone, you idiot, you know, yes. just kind of screaming <laughs> that at you. And <clears throat> how long did it take you? I mean... Maybe you still haven't quite figured out exactly what that means. I No, honestly, I still haven't. And, and furthermore, Andrew, just so you know, in my experience, it's not even only bagpiping. At, at the same time I was learning bagpiping, I was also learning trumpet. And I had a jazz band instructor who was often like, blow for your tone. He had this, this acronym, Bob, mm -hmm. and I can't even remember what B-A-W-B stood for, but it had to do with like picking a target and blowing at that target. And somehow mm -hmm. that was supposed to provide tone and maybe it did i i never knew if you're talking I was about like a not. visual target in front of you right yeah that's right mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay good so i think over the years i've figured out what this means and why don't we why don't we go through and by figured out what it means i think i have a pretty good idea now i wouldn't say i just disclaimer ahead of time i wouldn't say i'm perfect at it um and it's always something that i'm working on and i'm thinking about but yeah, this idea that we need to blow tone is kind of abstract, right? I mean, I don't think anybody really questions the idea that you have to blow into your instrument and that you want to do so steadily, but somehow it's never good enough. And somehow this idea keeps coming up. So, so for me, it starts with, I would translate most of this down to what we at the dojo would call the sweet spot. 
okay? Mm. And the concepts surrounding the sweet spot. A good thing that came up at the workshops a couple of weeks ago at Winter Storm is if you were practicing your archery, how do you measure whether or not you got a bullseye? Walk up to the target and look at your arrow. So there's a lot of things in that sentence that you just said that you took for granted that make total sense to me. Like, for example, the only way we can do archery is if we have a target, right? Mm. If I ask you to shoot an arrow perfectly accurately, but there's no target, how would you know whether or right. not you were accurate? Yeah. Right. So no there has to, really to be, say, yeah. yeah. So with archery, it's obvious. Now with bagpipers, we do this thing where we tell people, you're right. The number one rule about bagpiping is you got to blow steady. So we all know that you have to blow steady, but that's like saying, shoot your arrow accurate, yeah. right? We're missing a key piece of the puzzle. So as a bagpiper blowing steadily, good for you. That's nice. But unless you have a target in mind, okay. Uh, you're never going to be able to measure whether or not, maybe you can blow steadily without a target, but you're never going to be able to achieve a certain consistency or a certain quality of sound unless you know exactly what you're shooting for. So we really kind mm -hmm. of need, before we worry about blowing steadily as bagpipers, what we should worry about first is at what pressure we are going to blow steadily. Um, I usually illustrate this on the practice channel, but don't be fooled. It's just because I'm lazy and I don't want to get out the big chanter. But I can blow on my <laughs> chanter very steadily here, okay? And you'll soon hear that you really could care less that I'm blowing steadily. <laughs> like that practice chanter steadiness has never been achieved by a human to that degree of excellence until now. Fair enough. It seemed pretty steady. It was very steady, but we really actually could care less that it's steady, right? Because it sounds yeah. awful. I'm not, and, and then anyone who's played a practice chanter before will know, what have I done that's not optimal there? Way under, not nearly enough pressure. Not nearly enough pressure on that practice chanter read, right? So it doesn't really matter how steadily I blow there. I need a little bit more. So if I do that, suddenly it starts to become more relevant. And just, you can imagine that was a bagpipe chanter, right? One mm -hmm. pressure, one pressure, I was blowing a good tone to use the word of the day. And at one pressure, I was not blowing a good tone, but in both cases, I was actually blowing steadily. So in my experience over the years, when people encourage you, and that's a nice way to put it, when people swear at you and curse at yeah. you because you're not blowing tone, what that has to do with is the quality of the sound you're producing, not necessarily the steadiness. Mm. Jim, if you're going to keep horsing around that microphone, I'm walking off the set. I'm just trying to hold it up now with my hand because no matter no. how tight I make it, it just starts slipping again. Go ahead. Freaking mic. If it's not the internet, it's something else. Yeah, go a little bit more vertical with it. My life, my life got too boring once my internet got good. You are classic. All set. You're just making more editing now, for yourself. I mean, I don't believe that you're all that's set. That's right. Now, you, I really appreciate getting more specific that way. Because like, I noticed with some stealthy Googling that even if I ask Merriam-Webster, what does tone mean? Mm -hmm. What it tells me is... 
especially in musical sound with respect to timbre and manner of expression. And it does feel kind of like, okay, great. But what does it mean? Yeah. Well, <laughs> timbre, like, timbre is the key word there, right? So timbre refers to the quality of the sound that you get. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the bagpipe chanter in particular, although the drones are really no different, you know, you know, in the sense that we want to produce the best sound that we can. But with the chanter in particular, you have a variety of accessible timbres that you can produce mm. out of any chanter read. If you underblow it, the timbre is going to be blah. And if you overblow it, the timbre is going to be blah. And you're probably going to get squeaks and squawks, right, if you're too much. So we're looking for that sweet spot. We're looking at the optimal pressure that we can put on the read. And by the way, the optimal pressure and then embouchure as well is sort of like probably a secret little side topic where, mm. you know, different pipe bags, different size bags, possibly different posture, different stocks, whether or not you have gadgets inside the bag, <clears throat> that's going to affect sort of like the shape of the area that's providing the air to the reed. And it will have an effect on the quality of your sound. Now, you know, quality, that's very opinion-based. So you can say, ooh, I don't really prefer Jack Lee's quality of sound. I prefer Stuart Little's quality of sound. So it's not, we're not a necessarily, you know, in the land of pure objectivity here. But what right. I tend to go for, and on average, what a piper wants to maximize is like the richness of the timbre. We want a nice rich sound with lots of those nice shiny harmonics in the upper end. And the way that you're going to get that, if you boil it down to the simplest variable, the way that you're going to get that is by providing maximum airflow to the reed okay and then just put us an asterisk next to maximum right the um, we want the maximum amount of air to the reed however if you go too far then you're going to get squeaks and squawks and the reed is going to sound kind of overloaded and nasty so we want to go as high as we can on the pressure until unwanted sounds start to happen and, and to me that's my definition of the sweet spot and to me, if someone says, Andrew, blow tone, you idiot, that's how I translate it. Oh, I must not be producing a good quality sound. You know, maybe I'm underblowing, you know, something like that is where that's where my mind is going to go first. So when I get my pipes out, I want to go a little past the tone zone. That's how I know where it is. Mm -hmm. Then I can dial it back into the tone zone and stay steady there. Yes, I love that. that that's exactly right. And if I'm being honest with you, typically what I'm doing when I'm playing is I'm always testing the line. So it's not like, oh, I found the sweet spot and now I know where it is forever. For me, I'm always kind of just pushing the envelope, especially as I'm getting warmed up throughout my daily practice regimen. You know, I'm always kind of like on the line between maximum and just maybe slightly overloaded pressure wise mm, right mm. and i'm talking infinitesimal amounts but i'm always kind of like feeling for where that line is where i can get the best possible sound out of my chanter read without being in the danger zone just you know to keep things on the zone yeah on the zone based you know vocabulary yeah this seems like a great time to tell the the listening audience that you are rebranding the entire dojo thing it's mm -hmm. now the, <laughs> the, the zone piper diet. zone <laughs> the zone piper diet well, and then um, interestingly, what most pipers do, let me give you a little bit of history. I'm going to give you yeah. a little bit of your own history, Jim. I'll take it. This is, and this is a gross generalization, but it, this is my history, but I'm pretty sure it's your history too. 
And it's the history of most pipers because most pipers are not taught about producing a good quality of tone from the beginning. So here's what happens. You learn some tunes on the practice channel, you get on the pipes, right? And when you get on the pipes, the goal is to get the pipes going. So we get the pipes going. We finally, with, you know, a fair bit of struggle, we get the instrument, we get the chanter to actually make a sound. And that's kind of exciting. And then eventually we get to the point where we can play a tune and you can audibly hear a tune coming out on the pipes. But what pressure are you playing that tune at? Okay. And usually because the goal is just to survive and we're excited just to be hearing something. Usually that tune comes out at the absolute lowest viable pressure. Now, when you're a beginner, that's really exciting. But in the long run, when we want to produce a good quality of sound, we're not going to get it because we're way down in the, in the suboptimal pressure zone where, you know, things are not sounding the way that we need to do. So, and then that process continues and we're never really taught that we must, it's not really optional, that we must actually explore higher pressures. We have to go higher on the pressure of the chanter reed in order to get it to produce its optimal tone. And so you develop the habit that minimum viable pressure is what you do. And then we live our lives in minimal viable pressure zones, which is not a good quality of sound. And the other thing is, instead of risking squeaks and squawks all day long, what do you risk all day long when you're always blowing at the minimum viable pressure? Just a loss of sound. That's when your chanter will just like cut out. Yep. And we'd you call that a choke, grace right? note or something that kicked it out. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So when you're living life at the minimal vi minimum viable pressure, you're risking chokes all the time. And especially if you're like me, I became an advanced player and probably playing, you know, too close to minimum viable pressure as a habit. Well, then the other thing that happens is the chanter pitch, of course, always sort of increases over time as you play. So now you're adjusting your blowing down and down to try to kind of keep the chanter in tune with the drones over the course of a longer set of tunes. So now you're at a low, a minimum viable pressure. Now you're blowing down sympathetically to get the chanter to match the drones. And yeah. so now you're definitely going to be choking all over the place, right? So that's a brief history of, you know, what most pipers ended up with until they caught on that the game is really to explore the, you know, what the maximum viable pressure of your chanter is, not the minimum. And then you get better tonal quality, you get fewer chokes, right? You get the better stability and so on and so forth, right? That's why we yeah. really need to, we really need to select the right target at which we are going to blow steady. That does describe my experience. That is pretty yeah. darn accurate. Nope, it's exactly it. Now we can do this, a manometer can help sort of bust this thing wide open for a lot of students. So what mm -hmm. we'll do sometimes is hook a student up to a manometer and you don't have to do this. You could do this the old fashioned way, the way, uh, the, you know, uh, the way I did it and most people did it. You could just kind of learn it the hard way and get yelled at long enough by your superiors and, and eventually catch on. That's totally like, don't rule that out as a possibility. But with a manometer, what you can do is you can identify the maximum viable pressure on your chanter right? Basically, you just identify it by playing some sensitive material. By sensitive, I mean likely to cause squeaks and unwanted sounds. Play that material and figure out where the line is on the manometer, where you cross over from viable to squeaking and squawking. You find where that line is and you mark that line off, okay? Mm -hmm. And then what, you'll what most people typically find is, whoa, that is way higher pressure. 
than I'm yeah. used to blowing, right? That's what you'll usually find. But then you set, you can set your target there and now you can visually play and practice while visually trying to hit that pressure target as you blow steadily. And then, you know, that would be a good breakout exercise for somebody who wants to really kind of dive into how to achieve that tone zone. Mm. What well, one thing that zone. occurs to me as the zone of tone, Jim, whoever came up with this, a genius, the tone zone. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm feeling increasingly confident that it was definitely you who said the tone zone the first time I heard that. I'm feeling increasingly <laughs> that confident that it was probably me. So that's why I'm pretending I like this. Leaning into it, being yeah. awesome. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that was me. That was me for sure. It, it, it's if, occurring if, now to me. if it was Carl, I'm screwed because. Yeah, and yeah now, now, you, now you're giving praise to Carl, Dagnabbit. I play a lot of funerals, Andrew, and because of a lack of awareness or um, focus, it happens to me pretty often that like I'll often show up at a funeral and be playing for a while as people are arriving, you know, kind of providing background music. And that doubles as me keeping the pipes kind of in a, a, a zone that oh, is yeah. like viable. Gotta keep it in a zone for sure. But a lot of times during that, like pre-game playing, I kind of start to relax and my mind can wander. And often my chanter does start like cutting out on me. It starts choking. And I have to remind myself, oh yeah, focus, you know, and bring that pressure up a little bit. But then... And bring the pitch of the drones up. Sharpen the drones. Yes. Well, and that's, I think that's part of what causes me a problem where like there are enough variables in place anyway that like then I usually have to stop for a minute and then there's a time to play Amazing Grace. You know, at some point you step up next to the casket and you play Amazing Grace and you wander off into the sunset. And often the tuning at that point is like, I'm just crossing every digit and praying to every deity that it's going to sound okay. Right. Mm -hmm. But if I've been like not really paying attention to where the tone zone is before and I'm dipping out and stuff, if I'm making minor adjustments to my drones and stuff to try to be in tune, but I'm playing it suboptimal pressure down low, mm -hmm. then I step up to the casket and go to play like my amazing grace. I'm probably going to play be playing at higher pressure because I'm more focused at that point. I'm kind of adding yet another variable of screwing myself, you know, to, to put it not delicately. And, yeah. and really like setting myself up for not success and how, you know, what a silly thing. Well, that's <laughs> just it. Focusing. And that's just it. And so this finding the sweet spot, you may recall if you're a super dojo podcast nerd, you may recall that knowing and understanding the sweet spot. Okay. Some uh, today temporarily referred to perhaps as the tone the zone of tone. Identification of that sweet spot and being able to achieve it, that is one of our objective skills that we don't just want to learn how to do it, Jim. We want to do it automatically. So I don't play my pipes not in that zone ever. That's, I've taught, that's something that we want to have on autopilot that, in my opinion, is an absolute fundamental, which is yeah. my default pressure is always the sweet spot of the read. So one of the th problems that you might be having here in your funeral is you haven't assembled the target for yourself internally on autopilot. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, you might accidentally be blowing too low a pressure when you set up your pipes. So what you need to do, your prescription would be practice often enough and with the right intention. So that starts to become habit, right? Yeah. It's like most of us don't need to remember to brush our teeth in the morning. It's just something that happens because... It's become a habit. I need right? to become a, a resident citizen of the zone. Yes. The zone of tone. Exactly right.
Um, and then the other thing that I mentioned is we, uh, the tuning of our drones, especially the more experience that you get, the tuning of your drones relative to the chanter plays a big role in whether or not you're going to be able to hit the sweet spot. So if mm. your drones are too flat, okay, relative to the chanter, you'll be forced to underblow in order to get the chanter to sound good. So we need to make sure that the drones are high enough in pitch. I actually remember thinking this as a younger person when I would watch Jack and Terry Lee set up the kids' bagpipes in the RMM pipe band program. I just remember thinking to myself, it's so weird how they always set the drones so sharp. What's up with that? And I think mm -hmm. in retrospect, whether Jack and Terry were really super conscious of this or not, but what that does is it encourages a young player subconsciously to blow hard enough on that chanter to get the tone yeah. out. Because if the drones are just a split hair sharper than perfectly in tune, that just sort of encourages that full blowing. And there's pros and cons to that. I mean, and of course, you know, when the big performance happens, the drones are tuned exactly to the right mark. But I always wondered, maybe someday we'll ask them, but I always wondered if that was like really carefully thought through or if it's just something that happened. Or maybe they're just predicting the chanter is going to rise and pitch a little bit. So they're mm -hmm. setting it up, but that's all fair game and that's all good. And that's all what we want to do. And I remember folks listening out there, I'm not talking about like, we're not setting the drones three hertz sharper. We're talking about a tenth of a hertz sharp, you know, something like that, like 0.1 hertz sharper than optimal. Just kind of be a little aggressive on the drone pitch. And that can pay off in terms of continuing to transform the skill of blowing all the way through the reed to the reed yeah. sweet spot. It can help transform that into more of a habit, right? So it's, that's a great example of where being able to do it is only step one. We really want to get it to the point where it's second nature for us to be, you know, producing an optimal tone out of the chanter. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Andrew Douglas here from the Piper's Dojo. And I just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast if you enjoyed what you heard here today, it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us. If you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening. Thank you.